Coming up on Tech Nation, getting medical attention 24-7, simply using our phones. Rich Berner is the CEO of MD Live. With 25 million subscribers and growing, health systems are incorporating on-demand remote medical care, and insurance companies are covering individuals. Then on Tech Nation Health, where we look at breakthrough science and emerging technology, it's all about viruses. Cyoxix Therapeutics from Oxford creates new viruses to fight cancer, while San Diego's Athlon Medical filters high-threat pathogens directly from the bloodstream. All this coming up on this week's Tech Nation. Let's take five with Moira Gunn. This is Five Minutes. The first time I visited Paris was at the dawn of the Internet. Mobile phones were a dream, and going to Europe was akin to traveling to another planet, far away and pretty much out of communication with everyone. As a tourist, you walked around with a guidebook and a map, both on paper. Wherever you were, you looked up and saw other tourists. They, too, were holding up maps and staring intently. Maps would turn, guidebooks consulted. The people would look up and around and crane their necks and then go back to the map for another round of where are we, where are we trying to go, and how are we going to get there? It was all a part of the Paris experience, but no more. While I've been to Paris many times over the years, it seems that the full digitalization of the tourism experience has finally taken place. The key technologies here are the Internet, the smartphone, and GPS. You always know where you are, and you can ask them where you want to go, how to drive or take public transportation, or even walk. And the instructions all come with alternate routes. Want to get a car to drive you from exactly that spot? Uber, of course, since Lyft hasn't reached Paris yet. And as you sit in your Uber seat, you watch the route you are being driven on your smartphone. A bit more out of body is that it keeps updating you as to the exact minute you will arrive at your destination, adjusting for traffic while continuing to suggest alternate routes. So there you have it. Walk in the wrong direction, your smartphone shows you walking away from where you want to go. So you turn around and you're back on track. Even when you rent a car, your phone talks to you, takes you all over town and out to the auto routes, confident in telling you precisely which lane. And while all of this is going on, someone from home calls you and they didn't even know you had left. Give yourself up to the technology, and you are home free. But watch your battery life. Lose your charge, and it's back to the old days. Navigating Paris has always been a challenge. Streets coming and going at diagonals and roundabouts every few blocks, with five or six entrances and exits. The official sections of town, the arrondissement, are laid out in a spiral. The 5th is next to the 6th, all right, but it's also adjacent to the 13th. Once you realize that, technology never looks so good. 
I kept thinking about the antithesis of these diagonal streets and spiral layouts, and that would be Salt Lake City. The blocks were all laid out in squares, 660 feet to a side, 10 acres to a block. They were set precisely side by side with room in between so that a healthy-sized road could run down each side. They numbered all the streets as they went away from a single point on Temple Square, noting if you were north, south, east, and west. Find yourself navigating in Salt Lake, and you don't need GPS. You're here. You want to go there. It's all pretty obvious. Meanwhile, back in Paris, the street numbers on buildings almost defy explanation. So don't begin to think that technology has turned Paris into Salt Lake City. But technology does give you more time to experience other mysteries of Paris. I'm Moira Gunn. This is 5 Minutes. Five Minutes is produced at the studios of KQED-FM in San Francisco. Five Minutes is a production of Tech Nation Media. I'm Paul Lancourt. From San Francisco, I'm Moira Gunn, and this is Tech Nation. Today on Tech Nation, is it possible to get medical attention wherever you are in the United States, no matter the time of day? Rich Berner from MD Live tells us how 25 million subscribers are doing just that right now. Then on Tech Nation Health, it's all about viruses. John Beadle from Cyoxis Therapeutics tells us how they go about building viruses to fight cancer. And Jim Joyce from Athlon Medical brings us up to date on the status of their FDA-designated breakthrough medical device. Healthcare today demands more than miracle treatments and being able to make an appointment with your doctor over the internet. Some believe that good health care means getting the specific health care that's needed 24-7. Rich Berner is the CEO of MD Live. Well, Rich, welcome to Tech Nation. Thank you, Moira. Thank you for having me. Well, the first thing I noticed about MD Live is you really mean it. You need an MD Live? We got a live one for you. Exactly. Exactly. The name speaks for itself. <laughs> now tell us, what exactly is it? Uh, what we do is we connect patients who have urgent care needs or behavioral health needs or dermatology needs with providers via their phone or via their laptop, via video. Uh, essentially, we focus on giving consumers the care they want, where they want, how they want it, uh, at the right cost as well. Now, I have to say that today, if you want something and you have a smartphone, the first thing you do is kind of pick up your smartphone and look at it. <laughs> what do I want? Is this going to help me? Is it nearby? Can I order it? Now, I think we really want to start with the senses. This is about service today of the modern age, of the digital age. It's like how we connect 
Take us through what might you ask for, who might you ask for, what happens? Well, uh, let me back up for a second and talk about, you know, set a little bit of context that will help describe what we do and why we do it. Um, Because the reality is for all the progress we have been making in the healthcare industry over the last decade or two, uh, I'm sure your listeners have heard and watched what's going on with electronic medical records and population health management systems. And, and we've made a lot of progress of catching up the healthcare industry with other industries in its use of technology to help improve quality and also reduce cost. And while we've made a ton of good progress optimizing workflows for clinicians and health systems and payers, um, we really haven't disrupted it. And, you know, if you think about your healthcare experience today, um, there's still a big access issue for a lot of people. And even for people that have access to the best healthcare, many of them, their experience is nothing like it is if you're going to shop online or do online banking or book travel, where it's really focused on the consumer and how, uh, you know, you want to interact with them. MD Live is looking to be the solution to disrupt healthcare, to really get healthcare on the consumer's terms, uh, where they want it, when they want it, how they want it. I mean, who wants to take a sick kid to a doctor's office where everyone else is sick? If you're in bed with the flu, you know, why are you going to want to go to a doctor's <laughs> office? Um, and Why do you, you know, want to wait till 9 o'clock tomorrow morning to call them to say, we can see you tomorrow afternoon at 3? Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, who has time to take off work if you're not sure if you're sick or you, you know, you just need a prescription refill or maybe need something looked at on your skin? And, you know, as we talked about it with the behavioral uh, uh, services as well, I mean, some people are embarrassed to go see a therapist or a psychiatrist. And if you could do that in the comfort and convenience of your own home, why wouldn't you? And so that's what we do. So uh, our consumers can uh, go to our website, as you talked about earlier, or download our app. Um, and we even have a chat bot that's a digital personal health assistant we call Sophie that they can chat with Sophie to register and schedule an appointment. Uh, and Which they can, is good if you're sick. You have Sophie to help you. You have Sophie so to sick. help. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And the beauty of it is, as you said, um, you know, independent of the convenience of it, you know, very late at night or weekends, you know, when you can't go or, you know, you don't want to go to an emergency room that's very expensive urgent care, you can schedule an appointment within the hour or you can say, I want to see a doctor right now. And most times a doctor is available in under 10 minutes, if not immediately. I have to say, Lots of people have said, we've got online this, we've services here, we've got that. And the first thing I check for, because I always check for this, is like, okay, who's invested in you? Who is participating with you? Right away, I saw Centera, very large system in Virginia and North Carolina, the East Coast, mid-Atlantic states. I saw Sutter Health out in San Francisco, very big system. These are health systems. They're exactly what is familiar to us from the last millennium of how medical care happens. Absolutely. These are industry-leading organizations that we're lucky enough to not only have uh, as investors, um, but Howard Kern, the CEO of Centera, actually sits on our board. The problems he's trying to solve and many of the health system CEOs are very aligned with the problems we're trying to solve. They're trying to provide better care the way their consumers, their patients want it, um, when they want it, where they want it. So it's very helpful. It would be easy for him to see you as a competitor. If you think about it, a hospital or a health system, um, they want 
they're very focused on their consumer experience, more so than ever. So they're trying to provide care the way they want, but they're also trying to manage cost. Access is an issue for many of these people. Many of their their patients are in rural locations. They don't want to come all the way to the doctor's office. So if they can service them without having to do that, great for them. If they can, their ERs, uh, their emergency rooms are very busy. And if if they can actually make sure that uh, folks who um, can provide care in other ways because it's not that high a need or that high acuity, that that's going to free up time in their ER for the patients that really need it. For their doctors, you know, we provide our software as a platform that their doctors can use it so we're not competitive at all because many of the health systems, um, it's their doctors using it on our platform and they'll use our doctors to complement uh, their doctors nights, weekends, after hours and we do it all under their brand so it's very much a partnership versus competition. Nights, weekends, after hours, that's the time you really can't get right. support. And we've just never expected it. Not since doctors stopped doing house calls have we expected it. In a sense, now they are doing house calls because you're at home. It's back to the future. (laughs) Back to the future. I also wondered about children. Are you able to treat children? We are. There are certain conditions and certain ages and all that's available on the website, but there's a lot of conditions that we can treat. Every consumer has a choice whether they want to do a phone visit or a video visit. Most people, you'd be surprised when they're sick, they don't want to see a doctor, so they choose phone. But when it's the mother or the father with the baby, that's when we see a a big utilization of the the video portion. They want to make sure they're looking into the eyes of that clinician. And um, for certain conditions, we require video, as as you might expect with where you have to look at somebody's eyes or at their throat or something else. Then, Then literally say, sorry, we have to do a video. We do. We make it as the uh, as the consumer is going through the process of describing their condition or interacting with Sophie about what their condition is. We will direct them and say, for this visit or this type of condition that it seems like you might have, this one has to be a video visit. Now, let me ask you a slightly different question here before I go back into all the various kinds of services that you have. Um, insurance. What about insurance? Is that is health insurance recognizing this? They're probably making the most progress in recognizing this as an opportunity to disrupt. Our largest clients are payers and employers. I could throw out a couple stats for you just as an example. One of our large payer clients uh, compared two populations from 20,000 members that had uh, MD Live visits from 2014 to 2016 versus 20,000 uh, members that did not. And when they compared those two populations, you would be probably shocked to find out that the members that had the MD Live visits had 17% lower total medical cost on average. They actually had uh, a 35% less utilization of emergency rooms. Do you know how expensive those emergency room visits are, especially when you don't need to go there for the condition you have? 45% better adherence to uh, generic prescriptions. And, um, you know, it's early in their study, but they believe that they are going to save with every percent of utilization they can drive as much as uh, $14 million a year. I mean, imagine that. And then you have employers on the other side. The Morgan County Commissioner, I think down in, um, I believe it's Alabama, they just published an article. This nothing to do with us. This article came out on its own where they announced that the Morgan County Commissioner employees are going to get a 1.5% raise because of the savings from MD Live. 
<laughs> I mean, think about it. Of That's course, great. I forwarded that to the entire sales team and said, hey, tell people you buy empty live. And, and you, no, and you, you get don't a raise. get a one and a half percent raise. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the savings are real. I mean, it's just think, think about it again, not to uh, go on too much. But, you know, I have uh, three daughters, as you know. My middle daughter, unfortunately, got a concussion playing soccer. And, you know, my wife was out one day. And so I agreed to take her to the doctor's office for one of the follow-up appointments. And as you go in there, you you first of all, just getting time off work is impossible. And then you go to the doctor's office and you're thinking, God, all this rent. Then you're with a front desk person. Then you see a billing and a scheduling person. Then you see a nurse and maybe another nurse. And then you finally get with a doctor. And it's a brief visit where it's highly likely that all could have done virtually. Think about all the costs that went into that and the inconvenience where I would have loved it if we could have just done it at night after work with my daughter and I via video with a doctor. You are listening to Tech Nation. I'm Moira Gunn, and my guest today is Rich Berner, the CEO of MD Live, a nationwide service providing board certified doctors by phone or video 24 7. Where do you get the doctors, and how many do you have? We have over 1,200 clinicians. Uh, we have over 600 medical doctors. We have therapists. We have psychiatrists. We have dermatologists. Uh, so it's 1,200 that cover uh, all 50 states 24-7. And it's been nine years of a lot of hard work to recruit them. And what we're very focused on now is um, how do we ensure they feel like they're part of a practice? Um, because many of these, you know, the, the this movement of uh, this virtual care, you'll see we have a small number that can actually handle the majority of the visits because they're full-time. They do this full-time. We call them virtualist. And we believe that there's gonna, you're going to see a movement just like the hospitalist movement in the 90s. We call it the rise of the virtualist. And these are oftentimes millennials that want more flexibility in their schedule um, or doctors that are maybe getting close to retirement, want to take a few less shifts. Um, and mostly just doctors that are tired of the scheduling and the facilities and the, the documentation and the billing when all they really care about is providing care. And now imagine a doctor that can see tens of patients, if not sometimes <laughs> even more uh, per day, and all they do is get to go from patient to patient because we take care of everything else. Well, that's a really interesting point because malpractice insurance has really been tough with doctors. Mm -hmm. I know one of my doctors, uh, he was saying, gee, I think I'd like to gradually move my practice down, maybe have my practice half time. He had to pay full medical insurance, malpractice insurance. Mm -hmm. Is there a way for a medical doctor to practice part time? Absolutely. We, we do have many, many of them do do it just part time. Uh, so we have everyone from some folks that will do a couple hours a week to, you know, the the group that I was talking about that we refer to our preferred provider network that are, you know, full-time virtualists. They, you know, they want the uh, same thing that the consumer wants that we all want is more flexibility at work so we could spend more time with family and friends and do the things we want to do. And, you know, we believe beyond doing something that's better for the consumer, we're helping our clinicians find the work-life balance they're looking for, focus on the things that were the reason that many of these doctors got into healthcare was the time that they want to spend with patients. Okay, what about prescriptions? Uh, again, similar to 
what we talked about with the types of care and conditions that we do, we also list the types of prescriptions we can write. So we do write prescriptions for a, uh, a lot of your common uh, types of conditions that you would go see your primary care physician for. And as part of the process, we can geolocate where you are. We know where the closest pharmacies are. We let you pick your pharmacy. And when the doctor um, prescribes something as part of the visit, if that is decided that she wanted to prescribe something, uh, you have the choice to have it sent to your local pharmacy. In the future, we'll be having that sent right to your house when you want to select it. I'm sick. I'm nowhere near my providers. I'm in my hotel room. I log on to MD Live. Not a member yet, so I have to sign up. That will take me how many minutes? With Probably Sophie less helping. than five. With, with Sophie. Sophie helping me. Sophie has actually – so sometimes in registration we would drop, you know, lose some patients that they're trying something for the first time. They don't want to fill out the registration. We lose them. Sophie cut that down by half. So Sophie does help with registration and actually helps a lot. But it's going to take less than five minutes. Um, and for some people, uh, many people, your insurance provider, your your insurance provided through uh, – that you got on your own or through your employer covers it. Some have zero copay. Some have a small copay. And if you have an insurance app or a health system app like Centera on your phone, it's oftentimes single sign-on. It's already there. You just have to go there and you can start a visit. So we start a visit. How soon after I say, okay, I need to see somebody and here are my general symptoms, how soon after that do you connect me to a doctor? Well, first of all, you have to decide, do I want to see somebody right now or do I want to schedule a visit? Okay. And we notify patients of the wait time if there is one. But typically, it's oftentimes less than five minutes. Most times, uh, on average, it's between five and ten minutes to see a clinician. Even if it's, let's say, uh, you know, a rough, busy time, it's a 20-minute wait. But you're still doing what you're normally doing on a Saturday right. afternoon while you're waiting. You're all not right. even thinking about it. And all of a sudden, you get a text or a call says the doctor is ready to see you. Maybe we're talking on on the uh, phone, and then he goes, look, you got it, or she goes, I, I got to see this down your throat, or I have to see your lesion, or I have to see something, and uh, or I have to see you, <laughs> yeah. whatever that is. Uh, then we just switch over to a FaceTime kind of thing. Yeah. My, you know, most times you'll find that out in advance. Oh, so you're, we do these kind of appointments this way? It, based on the questioning with, you know, that you're doing before the visit. Uh-huh. Um, when we do know in advance, we'll notify you that, all right, for this condition, it, you know, you have to do it via video. But there are times where you do have to, um, you know, switch over and less frequently than you think. But there still are times where we say you have to go see your primary care doctor tomorrow or maybe go to urgent care now or sometimes you know notify patients that right away if it's an emergent situation and, and we want them you know we help them figure that out very early in the process because we wouldn't want uh, somebody to uh, delay getting there if that was where they needed to be. I was traveling with a fellow recently and uh, it was fairly late at night and he wasn't sure whether he was having a panic attack or a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uh, called my room and I, I said, oh, well, don't move. I'll come over. And I called the desk and we we're all in this. And there's any number of scenarios that uh, are not filled today. We expect that they won't be. I think yeah. our expectations will change. Well, and the interesting thing is we are both um, live very blessed lives and are very lucky to have access to probably great clinicians in big cities where you know some of the best and brightest are. 
The reality is that's probably less than a third of America. And what happens more often is people aren't getting the care they need and it spirals down into something worse in a very serious condition that could have been prevented had they tackled it very quickly, very early on. And another thing, I mean, back to the awareness question, that being the biggest challenge right now, we see uh, on average, anybody who uses this service, we see 1.8 visits um, from that same user in the next 12 months. Now, one thing I wanted to talk about were the various services which would often be support services. You know, the last stat I saw was something like 40% of Americans have a behavioral health issue. Many don't even recognize it, um, whether it could be anything from marriage counseling to depression to anxiety to, you know, whatever it might be. And so you really need to help the uh, consumers understand uh, and help identify self-diagnose. I mean, we're, we're, we're to some extent to at least get the process started. Um, and so we really try to uh, our clinicians know the uh, the types of conditions we support, and so then it's a matter of helping make sure the consumer knows. What we want to try and prevent is somebody to go look for help, and if they could have found out early on that it's not uh, appropriate for virtual care, we'd rather them find that out in the first five minutes of interacting with us than 10 minutes in or even longer. Uh, you get through a visit and find out it wasn't appropriate. I saw a lot of support services with respect to counseling. And quite frequently, uh, this happens at a time of night or early in the morning when there really isn't anybody around and you need people to talk to, um, and uh, or a crisis has come up, grieving, loss and grieving. There's uh, There are many things that could happen. And while I was looking at that, I realized I saw something else that was not on your website. I found it separately, that in the recent Parkland shootings – that you were able to give some support to the people and families of Parkland. Absolutely. I mean, very tragic event, one that hit um, near and dear to our heart. It's in the backyard of our headquarters. We actually had three employees that had uh, students there. And, you know, MD Live is a very altruistic organization. And, you know, as we talked about earlier, we feel lucky to be doing what we're doing. And so we always look for opportunities to give back. And what greater time of need when somebody is goes through a tragedy like that? So we offered free services to the people affected in that tragedy and, and have done it again uh, after the Santa Fe shooting um, just because, again, many people don't realize uh, that they may actually need services or they need someone to talk to and they're embarrassed to go to a physical location or don't have the time. And, you know, we both have kids. We know how these millennials act. You know, my daughters would absolutely probably prefer to be talking to somebody out of the comfort of uh, their own room on their own devices. So if we can help people get access um, who need it um, and for whatever reason they are embarrassed or they don't have the time. Or they've uh, never done do it that. before. Yeah. We have all this social media. We have all these electronic connections. The entire system, as we know it, is moving into the digital space. And uh, sometimes, yes, we have to be in person. Don't try surgery remotely. But No, but you, surgery you, follow-up for certain surgeries, absolutely you don't want to go on. There's just certain conditions that it absolutely doesn't make sense. And not only is it more convenient for the consumer, but it's going to save 
the healthcare system money as well. And we all know that's one of the greatest problems we face in the U.S. and around the world right now. I've been speaking with Rich Berner, the CEO of MD Live. We'll talk more after a break. Podcasts of Tech Nation and Tech Nation Health are available at NPR One, iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast syndication outlets. Coming up in the second half of our show on Tech Nation Health, Cyoxis Therapeutics from Oxford creates new viruses to fight cancer, while San Diego's Athlon Medical filters high threat pathogens directly from the bloodstream. Stay with us. Listening to Tech Nation, I've been speaking with Rich Berner, the CEO of MD Live, a nationwide service providing board certified doctors by phone or video 24 7. We've been talking about the high cost of health care. Why is it so expensive? Why does it keep costing us more and more when technology is supposed to get better, faster, cheaper? Yeah. And so, you know, it's back to what we kind of opened up with, that healthcare, for all the progress we made, we really haven't disrupted it yet. So if you think about all the technology that's out there, we're, we're just starting to tap into it in healthcare. So artificial intelligence and machine learning, for example. Today, Sophie's pretty uh, straightforward, helps with registration and scheduling. This year, she'll be helping with a little bit of automated triage. But tomorrow, Sophie's going to be an artificial intelligence-based, machine learning-based a chatbot that not only helps you with care, but is also proactively helping you manage your health or your chronic condition. Because the reality is many doctors are not practicing at the top of their license. They're doing things that lower level, um, less costly practitioners can do. And so we're also, you know, beyond today, we're trying to connect you with doctors. We're looking at how we can automate the process, how we can optimize the process, and how we can use advanced technology to do that where it makes it better for you and I and our friends and family, but also saves uh, the healthcare system money. Well, I have to say that you're a little beyond a, a startup, given that you have 25 million members already. A <laughs> 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 little, little on the other side of that. Um, but still, you have this startup feel, and the, the feel has to be 
kind of convince people what it is. You're describing something that you have to kind of experience. How difficult is it to get people to understand what you're doing? Uh, I would say awareness is our biggest challenge right now. Um, and it's funny you say that it has a startup feel. It, it's, it's, it's something that this just makes sense. I mean, when you think about it, I'm sure if you stopped and we talked about it, it just makes sense. But it really, you know, telehealth just hit an inflection point last year where the payers were willing to pay for it. The government was willing to say, regulate it and say it's okay. The providers are wanting it and consumers are demanding it. So we're seeing greater growth than we've ever seen. January of this year for our top clients saw five times as many visits as they saw last year. So it's really just the entire environment's coming together that as people recognize this, um, this nine-year-old startup with 25 million members, soon to be 30 million members at the start of next year, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun, uh, and you know, sounds we, like you broke through the threshold. <laughs> we're I I would say we definitely have in a lot of ways, but we're still trying to keep that startup culture, and we do that by hiring people where this is a vocation for them. It's not a job. The people that are joining the company now, starting with myself when I joined, are here because. Um, we think healthcare is broken in a lot of ways, and we're on a mission to fix it and make it better for everybody involved. And we know we're doing it, and uh, we know there's more we can do. Rich, thank you so much. I hope you come back. Keep us updated. Moira, thank you so much, and I look forward to coming back. And you know, this is going to change healthcare for the for the benefit of everybody involved. And you know, I look forward to coming back and telling you about all the progress we've made. Terrific. My guest today is Rich Berner, the CEO of MD Live, a nationwide service providing board certified doctors by phone or video 24 7. More information is available at mdlive.com. I'm Moira Gunn. You're listening to Tech Nation. Welcome to Tech Nation Health, reimagining the future of health and healthcare with the emergence of new technologies and breakthrough science. Today, it's all about viruses. John Beadle from Cyoxis Therapeutics tells us how they're creating new viruses to be given to patients to fight cancer. And Jim Joyce from Athlon Medical talks about their device, which directly filters infectious viruses from the blood, including hepatitis C, Ebola, Zika, and more. Dr. John Beadle is the CEO of Cyoxis Therapeutics. John, welcome back to Tech Nation. Good morning. Good to see you. Let's start with reminding people, what are oncolytic viruses? So oncolytic viruses are viruses that uh, will replicate only in tumor cells and not in normal cells. And as they replicate, they'll kill those tumor cells and then spread uh, to other, other cells. But they can't infect uh, normal cells. So uh, we're, we're using uh, oncolytic viruses in a different way to the, to the way that most people are, are using them. We're putting uh, genes into those viruses so that as the virus replicates within the tumor cell, those genes are expressed in, in the cell. So what we're doing is we're, we're turning the cancer cell into a little drug factory. It's, it's producing, for example, antibodies or bispecific antibodies. And those antibodies or, or, or uh, um, other products 
will be released into the tumor and can actually change the tumor um, so that the immune system will recognize the tumor and, uh, and, and eliminate the tumor through, uh, through an Im- immune mechanism. So let me get this straight. If you have uh, DNA in a virus and it invades a cell, that DNA can get into the cell as it replicates? Yeah, so the virus, uh, the way a virus replicates it, it gets into a cell. It can only replicate in a cell. Uh, so viruses are sometimes not, not even thought of as being living because they have to, to replicate within, uh, within another cell. So they take their DNA into the cell, um, and then they use the cell to replicate. Um, and what we've done is we've added very small little sequences of DNA uh, into that virus so that as the virus replicates, the cell will produce uh, the proteins encoded in that DNA. Um, and, and those proteins can then uh, be, uh, be, be things that will change the tumor um, so that the tumor um, stimulates the immune system and the immune system then kills the tumor. Ah, you lay a little uh, trick in there. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So, so I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the, uh, the, the viruses, we've actually uh, we've partnered this virus with Bristol-Myers Squibb, um, and Bristol-Myers Squibb are currently conducting clinical trials with this virus. Um, but it has two genes in it, and those two genes, when they're expressed in a tumor cell, uh, the proteins go to the surface of the tumor cell, and they sit on the surface of the tumor cell, and uh, both of them actually activate immune cells uh, within, the, within the tumor. Um, uh, and they, they cause the, these immune cells called T cells. They activate these T cells. And those T cells will then kill that tumor cell, but also go on to kill other tumor cells. So if I understand you, if you have one cancer cell that has expressed this protein and you've invited in the immune system, the immune system says, I get the idea, and starts attacking other ones, even if they haven't had the virus? Yeah, absolutely. So you can look at it as being educating the immune system. We're educating the immune system to recognize the tumor um, and and eliminate the tumor. Um, One of the popular uh, forms or one of the really successful and interesting forms of uh, immune therapy currently in development is called the CAR-T therapies. And CAR-T therapies uh, actually use viruses to change the T cells in a way that they will then recognize the, the tumor cell. Our approach is, uh, is really the mirror image of the CAR-T approach. Rather than modifying the T cell to interact with the tumor cell, we modify the tumor cell to interact with the T cell. Somebody's going to get it right, or both of you, which would be even better. <laughs> uh, well, absolutely. The, the CAR-Ts are, are, are seen as being really effective for the hematological the, the blood malignancies, but it's more difficult to use them to treat solid tumors, whereas our approach is really designed to treat solid tumors but wouldn't work in hematological malignancies. Um, so really they, they can be used in different ways for different types of tumor. Where are you in this proceeding to be a product? So we currently have two programs uh, in clinical trials um, running uh, both in the U.S. and, and in Europe. Uh, one of those programs uh, is our own. We're running that program. And then, as I say, the, the other is being run by Bristol-Myers Squibb. And we have three more programs that will come to the clinic um, over the next 18 months. So it's really exciting uh, for this whole area of gene therapy for cancer. These are the first products that are really trying to alter the tumor in, in a way that will make them uh, more susceptible to the immune system. 
reprogramming cancer cells. Absolutely. Changing the way that they actually function um, is, a, is a completely new approach to, uh, to cancer therapy. In your trials, which types of cancer are you going after? So they're all solid tumors. So uh, things like uh, non-small cell lung cancer, colorectal cancer, head and neck cancer, um, renal cancer. Um, so we're, we're in multiple different sorts of tumors, um, but they're all what would be called solid epithelially derived tumor cells. Do you have any sense how, how this will be administered and how many times it might have to be administered? So the, uh, there are a lot of oncolytic viruses uh, being worked on around the world. Uh, one of the really uh, key things about our virus is it can be delivered uh, into the bloodstream. Uh, most viruses have to be injected directly into the tumor because they won't survive in the bloodstream and they wouldn't go to tumors. Um, our virus can be delivered systemically, so injected into the bloodstream. It will then go to the tumors and, and replicate only within the tumors and not within normal cells. Why is that? Um, well, most viruses um, are killed by the blood. Um, they, either, they either bind to, uh, to cells within the blood, they bind to antibodies or, or other forms of uh, immune. They get waylaid before they, they all, get exactly, to the Exactly. They all get killed because that's, what our, that's one of the functions of our blood is to deal with infections. And viruses, of course, are a f form of infection. Um, so our particular virus uh, isn't killed by any of those mechanisms, at least not initially. Over time, the immune system will, will learn to deal with the virus. Um, so we believe that uh, we'll probably be able to dose this virus um, probably on, on, uh, for three cycles, so probably over three months. Um, but because it's a replicating virus, once it's in the tumor, it will continue to replicate and spread within the tumor. So those, those three months are really for loading the tumor up with these cancer-killing viruses. These viruses come from uh, libraries of viruses that you have? So this is it's a non-naturally non occurring virus. Um, it was actually developed using a process called directed evolution, so uh, a made-up evolutionary system. Uh, started by uh, taking as many different adenoviral serotypes as, as was possible, forcing them to randomly combine. So some of those would be complete failure, Frankenstein-type uh, viruses, but some of them, hopefully, would have the characteristics that we would, we would like. And then we actually we grew all of those viruses at once on cancer cells. So we actually let the cancer cells select out which virus was best at killing cancer cells. Um, and then the next step was to test uh, those cancer-killing viruses on normal cells because we wanted to find the viruses that had lost the ability to replicate in normal cells. What I think is fascinating about that is you were sort of hybridizing all the viruses that were there. You were saying, okay, naturally try to put these things together as opposed to simply, well, we're going to take this virus, which is very common. We're going to splice in uh, some snips of DNA that we know are going to be. And it's like you really don't know how the whole thing is going to interact. Well, you know, evolution is the way viruses were developed in the first place. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's this idea of intelligent design by a, a scientist in a white coat trying to guess which genetic modifications might, might work versus allowing, you know, thousands or millions of modifications to occur and then choosing, uh, uh, using the tumor cells to actually select out which of those viruses. And, and certainly we wouldn't have guessed 
which genes to change and, and, and alter in the way that they have in, in this particular virus. What I anticipate also is once we see what works, we can spend a lot of time saying, well, what was it? What was it that was all in all the programming? We can discover why after we discover that it does. Yeah, and we've, uh, we've got coll- collaborators at Oxford University who've been doing exactly that, sort of going back and saying, well, you, you know, now that we can see what's changed in this viral DNA, why is it behaving in this way? Why does it replicate so well in tumor cells? And why doesn't it replicate in, in normal cells? And, and, th- and that's become a fascinating exercise. Um, and it's not a straightforward answer because there's a lot of genes that have been changed. Um, so, and, and each of them plays a role in the new f- way in which this, this particular virus functions. And if you can figure that out, it makes a tremendous contribution to science. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's one of the wonderful things about working in this sort of industry is, you know, success or or, or failure in terms of each individual program. Obviously, that's what we're working towards. We want to find, you know, a a successful treatment for cancer. But you're always contributing to science, Uh, particularly, you know, when you're at the bleeding edge of science. You're you're really uh, building scientific knowledge and and putting something back into the, uh, the scientific community. Well, John, you never disappoint. Thanks for coming Thank on. Thank you very much, Maureen. Always welcome on Technation. Thank you. Dr. John Beadle is the CEO of Cyoxis Therapeutics in Oxford. More information is available at cyoxis.com. That's P-S-I-O-X-U-S, cyoxis.com. When a person catches a virus, such as the flu, we look to antiviral medications. But for the 300 known infectious viruses, antiviral drug treatments exist for only nine. So how else might we remove viruses from an infected human? This brings us to Athlon Medical in San Diego and their medical device, the Hemopurifier. I asked Jim Joyce, Athlon CEO, to tell us what it does. Well, Moira, it's a first-in-class device that's designed for the rapid elimination of infectious viruses from the circulatory system. And unlike traditional therapies that inhibit or address a single virus, we designed this product to have broad-spectrum application against a wide range of life-threatening viruses. And you use this product as a cartridge. What is it, about 8 inches long, 10 That's inches long? It's a cartridge, long? yeah, about, about 10 inches long. And to give the appropriate visual, it's about 2 and a half inches in diameter. Uh, and the entire circulatory system flows through the cartridge, depending on the size of the patient, approximately once every 20 minutes or so. And each time the cartridge passes through, the blood passes through the cartridge, uh, we're reducing the presence of infectious viral pathogens. Now... Remember, this is hooked up to what would be a dialysis machine? Well, we designed it so it could work on that infrastructure as well as the infrastructure of CRRT machines that are already located in hospitals and clinics. Continual renal replacement therapy machines. But they're instruments that basically are blood pumps that allow for continuous circulation of blood through cartridges. So what you're doing is adding on to existing infrastructure. It was that, that's, that's correct. It was very important that we leverage the existing infrastructure that was in place when we designed this product. Uh, these, these instruments are generally in most ICUs in hospitals and clinics worldwide. And then obviously they're in every dialysis center uh, globally. Now what's inside the cartridge? 
Well, that's Is that our a secret. secret? <laughs> that's our secret sauce. Um, well, you can tell me. Well, I'll only what tell we've millions. done. What's, what's very important? These are called extracorporeal therapies, outside of the body therapies. So think about subtracting uh, a disease-promoting particle um, instead of adding a drug agent to inhibit a disease particle. So in, in this case, we immobilize a compound. Uh, that binds to a unique signature that viruses actually cloak themselves with to evade the surveillance of the immune system. And this signature can be found on a wide range of different strains, species, and families of viruses. And we've demonstrated uh, in in our efforts to work with leading government and non-government research institutes uh, the ability to capture 16 different high-threat viral pathogens with the same device. Now, which viruses have you attacked? Well, beyond human studies where we've treated hepatitis C, HIV, and and we got a lot of recognition for our work in Ebola in treating uh, that disease condition, um, we've demonstrated the capture of Zika, chikungunya, West Nile virus, a uh, variety of strains of pandemic influenza, including the reconstructed Spanish flu of 1918, uh, which is 100 years ago was the viral pathogen that killed upwards of 50 to 100 million people worldwide. Uh, so we've demonstrated the ability to, to act against many life-threatening viruses that, that still today remain without a traditional drug treatment. Now, where would you be with the FDA? Would this be a, just a normal device? Would this, what, I always have to ask, where is this? What do they consider it? Well, it's, it's classified as a combination product, uh, but our regulatory jurisdiction is with the center's uh, for devices in radiological health. So it's the device division of FDA. Uh, and last year, we wrapped up a human feasibility study uh, related to the advancement of our product against life-threatening viruses. Uh, we were then appointed to an expedited access pathway uh, designation with FDA, which uh, subsequently led to the product being named a breakthrough device. Uh, and we're currently working with FDA uh, in ongoing discussions related to how to commercialize this product for an indication of use that they allowed under our breakthrough device program, which is the treatment of life-threatening viruses for which there's no approved therapy. How would this work in the event of a pandemic? Well, in the event of a pandemic, um, if it's a highly virulent uh, viral pathogen, there is going to be quarantine centers. The general uh, modus operandi for uh, high threat pathogens is that you don't move people around with these infections. You try to isolate or quarantine them, and then in quarantine centers would be the infrastructure to deliver our deliver our technology. Uh, obviously, in ICUs, uh, there are people trained to deliver these types of therapies as well as in dialysis centers. At what point now will this be released so you can move to full commercialization? Well, that's the ongoing conversation we're having with FDA right now is, is what clinical evidence do you need beyond uh, the 150-so human treatment experiences we have, which in many cases have been really pretty remarkable outcomes, uh, as it relates to the label indication awarded in our breakthrough device designation, we're now in discussions to, to define what, evidence is, what further evidence is required to commercialize our product against life-threatening viruses for which there is no approved therapy. And one of the things we're buoyed by is the, the fact there is a trend uh, at FDA to establish earlier access to therapies um, through a variety of different programs. And in less, this past week, the president 
uh, signed in the right to try law, uh, which is inclusive of medical devices. So the, the landscape seems to be changing somewhat at FDA. If you just step back and try to understand uh, infectious viruses as just one part of infectious disease, uh, there's approximately 300 viruses that are infectious to man. Nine of those are addressed with an antiviral drug agent. So a vast majority of viruses, and not all of these viruses are extremely life-threatening, but the vast majority of viral pathogens that are infectious to humans still remain beyond the reach of traditional drug and vaccine therapies. Uh, and our job is to really deliver a product that can tip the balance back in favor of the immune system to rapidly eliminate viruses before new cells and organs can be infected. And by doing so, each virus we remove, it eliminates progeny viral replication. Now, many of you may remember Jim from an earlier interview. Yes, it is the same Jim Joyce, the former Denver Bronco. And we talked about the impact of brain injury because of all the the hits, as they say, they take in football. Let's revisit what we talked about and update us on that part of, of what you're doing. Sure. Well, at Athlon Medical, you know, our focus is therapeutics, but we have a subsidiary that look, looks to discover biomarker targets that could identify or monitor disease conditions that might be future targets or current or future targets for Athlon Medical to go after as therapies uh, or as therapeutic targets. So in our previous discussion, we talked about a biomarker that our research team discovered. We call it a talzome. But basically, this is a, a particle that we believe moves across the blood-brain barrier uh, and could be an indicator for people affected with tauopathies, which are a series of 21 different neurological disorders that involve the abnormal placking of tau protein in the brain. Beyond Alzheimer's, another one of those conditions is chronic traumatic encephalopathy, of which I have a, uh, a personal interest in. A uh, former teammate uh, of mine was the second person diagnosed by the Boston University CTE Center, uh, which encouraged us to start looking for biomarkers that could identify this condition in the living. At present, it's only, CTE is only identifiable, unfortunately, at autopsy. Now, I remember that the data you showed me was the presence of that marker in various retired NFL players. And I remember one was was down to nothing. And I said, look at this one. And you said, ah, it's a kicker. You know, <laughs> you can't touch the kicker. You know? uh, where are you in that study or well, subsequent studies, I should say? The, the data from our first study, of which we were invited to participate in the first NIH-funded study of CTE uh, by the Boston University CTE Center, uh, and so we had the opportunity to test our Talzone biomarker, and we saw in 78 former NFL players, as compared to the same age group controls, uh, we saw that on average Talzone levels were nine times higher in the NFL group as compared to the controls. And again, this marker we believe is a marker to identify and monitor tauopathies. So another tauopathy is Alzheimer's disease. So we looked at that same marker and diagnosed Alzheimer's patients. And whereas the NFL group was nine times higher than the control group, the Alzheimer's group was 10 times higher, so just a little bit higher. And these were diagnosed Alzheimer's patients. Uh, and in this, uh, we were fortunate to have this publication uh, or this, this, an article related to this study published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. Uh, we have since recently just kicked off a follow-on study 
that's going to further evaluate this marker as a candidate to diagnose CTE in the living. Uh, and so we initiated um, our first new site location at the Translational Genomics Research Institute in Phoenix uh, a little over a month ago. Uh, we had great enrollment from former players in the first, first day of enrollment. Uh, there's, there's a lot of interest in this program, uh, and we expect to open up uh, a series of other sites to enroll former players, and we're hoping to uh, enroll up to 200 former NFL players and control subjects. Uh, which should be the largest study of its kind and hopefully can validate the, the Talzone marker as a means to diagnose or monitor those that, that are at high risk for suffering from CTE. We certainly have seen a lot and a lot of concern and a lot of research now in high-impact sports from the high schoolers and the college players because so many are participating in that. Mm-hmm. What would the presence of such a test for, for youth in high-impact sports, would it be helpful? It would be. What we need to learn is, is, is the previous study I mentioned. We enrolled former players that were between the age of 40 and 65. Um, the new study that we're conducting, we're now looking at players that are age 20 and above, which means not just former players, current players. Uh, so we have the opportunity to observe if Talzone levels are which we hope to see are, are significantly lower in, in players in their 20s as compared to former subjects that we enrolled where we saw extremely highly uh, elevated levels as compared to same age group controls. So, you know, our hope would be that there's a consistent theme here that this is truly a chronic neurological disorder uh, that accumulates over time and that perhaps as it relates to younger players, the ability to observe spikes in the levels of this or levels that aren't, uh, aren't what would be expected in, in younger players uh, as perhaps an indicator that, uh, that that player might want to find an athletic activity that doesn't involve repetitive head trauma. Jim Joyce is the CEO of Athlon Medical in San Diego. More information is available at athlon.com. For Tech Nation Health, I'm Moira Gunn. Tech Nation and its regular segment, Biotech Nation, are produced at the studios of KQED-FM in San Francisco. Executive producer is Matt Gardner. The director of technical production is Monte Carlos. And audio engineers include Howard Gelman, Seal Muller, and Larry Upton. Our theme music was composed by Ann Nochtrieb Zessiger and Robert Powell, with title creation provided by NameLab Incorporated of San Francisco. Program information and Internet audio is available on the web at technation.com. TechNation and Biotechnation are productions of TechNation Media. I'm Paul Lancourt.